Is it possible for a pitcher to have too many pitches in his arsenal? Maybe, but also maybe not. Good morning to you. Good Monday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Pirates. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or hockey. I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Penguins where you found this. The one name that came up the most often when I surveyed people in the clubhouse in Bradenton last week as to who will be an emerging player, a breakout player among pitchers was Colin Holderman. And if you don't know about Holderman yet, you will. This is not your standard storyline when it comes to a baseball progression. He's 27 years old. He only arrived in the bigs with the Mets last summer, but he arrived in an enormous way. Uh, moving immediately to the back of the New York pen, putting together a dozen superlative outings. Just really, really efficient, pounding the plate with a ton of different pitches. And that's where he gets interesting. Because Holderman, 6'7 dude, you know, all the downhill plane, has the live arm, has everything else here. Took a long time to develop, obviously, in part because he's got so much to offer and never really specialized in anything and never really put it all together until last year. So even when the Pirates picked him up, this was in the Daniel Vogelback trade, you'll recall, and more eyes around here were cast on his name and his bio and so forth. There still wasn't much of a recognition as to who is this guy, why did they get him, he's so old, meaning it's a prospect and all that other stuff. Then the Pirates, here comes that term again, got their hands on him, and they started looking at everything that he can do. He's throwing a ton of different pitches. He doesn't throw at 100 miles an hour, but he's got fairly good control of those, and it's the mix that makes him dangerous. Dude's even added a thing called a sweeper, which is now starting to make its rounds through the majors. But these pitches... The natural movement of them, combined with the command, have jaws dropping in Bradenton. And I know there are people who hate hearing spring hype, okay? So just deal with it for what it is. Because until he's out there pitching in grapefruit games, doing it on a regular basis, and putting up some kind of numbers, nobody's going to take it seriously. But at Pirate City, that was the impact he was having. I asked Justin Message, his bullpen coach, if he happens to be similarly stoked about Holderman. Special uh, guy. Uh, and then on top of that, he's just got a special uh, arsenal that uh, you don't see often throughout the game. And so I think it's a perfect combination for what you want to see in the backside of the game. Can he keep that arsenal in check from a bullpen context? Meaning, you know, you don't want your guys having multiple pitch mixes you want them to be able to throw the pitches you need to throw for strikes yeah definitely there i mean we're working through some of that right now a guy that has an arsenal like that where there's three or four pitches does he need all three or four That's pitches what I'm asking. Yeah, yeah yeah and so when the challenging part is when they all show up at times to be really good pitches um so that's what spring training's for is to 
hopefully pare that down to his best two or three pitches and then uh, go from there. He's got back end potential. I think so. Obviously. I think yeah, so. I mean, physically, physically and mentally, I think he's exactly what you're looking for in the backside. Now, you heard Message say that he thinks Holderman can become part of the back-end mix as well. There are a lot of guys in that category. It's an unusual bullpen mix slash competition that the Pirates have going on in Florida right now. It's generally seen that David Bednar will be the closer, and the only reason I qualify that in any form is that Derek Shelton just really seems to hate the term or the role or whatever it is, but it's Bednar's job. Okay, Bednar's going to take the ball in the ninth. But they also expect to have other players who are back there and who can be utilized in that role, depending on matchups. And that, that might be where Holderman comes in the most. Think about Bednar's style. What's he doing when he's most effective? Yeah, he's got some off-speed stuff. He can keep you off balance. But for the most part, he's just going to pump fastballs in there. He's going to throw them for strikes. And he's going to throw them with enough deception and movement that he can get people out including swings and misses. But if you're facing a lineup, say, that uh, isn't anywhere near as effective against off-speed stuff, you maybe go to Holderman. Holderman can be your eighth inning guy. He can be your ninth inning guy. He goes out there and, you know, he throws a whole lot of junk, keeps guys guessing, wonders what's coming next, which you as a hitter aren't really accustomed to in the later innings. You're used to guys going out there with a two-pitch mix. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. The guy that I most want to see in that role eventually is Yeri De Los Santos. I understand that De Los Santos is someone who came off an injury to end last season, which is never a comfortable thing for a team to put somebody back on the mound and immediately pump them to the majors whenever they have options and can begin the year in the minors. I think that's what you're going to see with Yeri. However, I don't think he'll be down there long, and I do think he'll spend most of the season in Pittsburgh. And as such, I think he and his dynamic stuff can play at the back end. I feel the same way about Johan Oviedo. Presuming Oviedo doesn't get the chance to start, which I don't think he will. They might dress it up as such, but I don't think he will. And that rather than stretching out Oviedo and having him be in some middle role where you're usually only pitching whenever the game is out of hand, you put him in a more vital back-end type position the way he was with St. Louis before the trade last summer. It's an interesting bullpen. We're going to talk more about this over the course of the spring, but there are a lot of different and dangerous, and I mean that in the good way, parts that can come together into something, I was going to say special, that's over the top. It can be a really good group, let's put it that way. When we come back, J1Q. This portion of Daily Shot of Pirates is brought to you by our friends at North Shore Tavern that's directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. It's home of Steak on a Stone, an eating experience, underscoring the word experience. The steak is brought to you partially cooked on an 800-degree stone, and you do the rest. It's a ton of fun, it's a great meal, and it's a baseball atmosphere like no other in Pittsburgh. North Shore Tavern, right across Federal Street from PNC Park. Today's J1 
IQ comes from Greg Hartnett, who says, not really specific to the Pirates, but if someone had asked you, DK, on October 1 of 2022, which Pittsburgh team you were the most optimistic about in the immediate future, what would you have said? And then what would you say to that question today? Greg, my answer on this one very, very rarely changes. And I'm going to disappoint anybody who would have pressed play on a show about the Pirates by saying that it's the Steelers. Uh, The Penguins are tasked with not only an older core, although Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin have remained their team's best players, and in fact, two of the best players in the NHL, but they've got massive support issues due to some terrible contracts signed by their general manager, Ron Hextall. They've got goaltending issues. They've got defending issues, and they're not in any sort of position for some kind of rapid turnaround. By contrast, the very nature of the NFL allows for teams to go from 2-15 and to 15-2 and if they make the right moves in the offseason, if they make effective use of their draft picks. And that's mostly because the NFL's salary cap has so much room in it That if you go ahead and tank one year or you don't even have to pay a quarterback the way the Steelers kind of don't have to since Ben Roethlisberger was gone, you can address your needs. So anytime anybody has ever referenced the Steelers rebuilding to me, I just laugh. He goes, what are you going to do? Throw TJ Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick out on the street? No, no. You're going to be patient. You're going to get a little bit better over the course of that year. And then you're going to spend the next summer. That would be this one. Loading up. I think the Steelers have a lot of potential, and I think it's immediate. Now, to your point, if you want to go reality versus perception, in reality, I'm not going to get nearly as pumped up as you sound like you are about the Pirates for 2023. But perception-wise, I can see it because Pittsburgh's baseball fans have been beaten up here for a while. You know, those playoff years, 2013 to 2015, Feel like a long time ago now. And then you add into that these last three seasons with the pandemic, with the 200 loss outputs and everything else. And it feels like the end of the world, the end of the franchise. So when you see an O'Neill Cruz come up and do things that other humans can't, when you see Jack Sawinski hit 19 home runs and a lot of the other positives that are real, that are real about this team right now, the feeling can be multiplied many times over compared to your feeling as it relates to the Steelers or the Penguins because you've gotten a lot more accustomed to them playing at a certain level. And here's the part you really don't want to hear. It's borderline impossible to win a World Series unless you're upper half in payroll. Go look at the history on that one. Only one team has done it in this century, and that was the 2003 Marlins. That's it. That's it. If you're not in the top 15 in payroll in the majors, you can't win. You can't win. Unless all of the stars align and everything magically converges. We have seen teams get to the World Series or go deeper into the playoffs with those lower payrolls, most notably of late, the Rays. But the Guardians have been in there, and there have been a couple others as well. The Brewers have been competitive. And all you have to do is kind of take off at the right time and have everything click. But precedent is what it is. 
the other two teams that we have in town operate in fair systems. The Pirates, absolutely, unequivocally, no matter what you say about ownership, don't. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Pirates. We'll do another one of these tomorrow. 